Welcome to the Big Break Software Podcast. We'll be talking with software startup founders, software coaches, and consultants, and how they found their own software success. And now, let's get started with the show. Hi, everyone. This is Jordy Wardman here, host of the Big Break Software Podcast, where I talk to top leaders in the software field like Seth Godin, Andrew Warner of Mixergy, and many more. This is a show where we talk to proven founders about their zero to 30,000 journey and beyond. Today's episode is brought to you by OneStop.io. We have 45 developers waiting to take your idea to fruition. If you want a reliable full-stack development team with top talent that costs half as much as in-house developers, and you know you can trust your SaaS or mobile app with us. We'll give you the first 30 days, no risk, and we guarantee you being on time and on budget, or we finish the project at no extra cost. Contact us at onestop.fm. Let's talk about your SaaS project today. Today, I'm pleased to introduce Michael Ashford of The Receptionist. The Receptionist is a visitor management software that's created a personalized check-in experience, also handling tasks like notifications, visitor storage, and badge printing. Michael will be sharing how he radically shifted their marketing and was able to grow the company despite economic downturns of COVID. He pivoted the receptionist from commercial spaces to manufacturing facilities, helping to optimize check-ins and reduce exposure to COVID. How are you today, Michael? I'm doing wonderful, Jordy. How are you? I'm doing great. I just wanted to explain this is not our usual founder story, but I thought it was interesting because... Your business was greatly affected, a lot, like a lot of businesses out there, was greatly affected by COVID. So I just want to, first of all, let's get, get some background on what the reception it does, and then we can talk about how you sort of guided your company through COVID. Sure. The best way to explain the receptionist is if you've ever walked in a building as a visitor or a guest, typically a company, and you've had to sign in to notify the powers that be that you're there and you've done that on an iPad, that's a system like ours. So uh, you sign in, you give all of your pertinent information, whether you're an interview candidate there for a job interview or whether you are a VIP client, possibly there for a, a business meeting, you can have all these different ways of signing in and then the system will notify the person that you're there to see that they have a guest and it stores all that information. So for compliance or safety or security reasons, you've got a complete record of everyone who was in your building and who they were there to see and, and at what time. And I was employee number seven several years ago, uh, came on board as the, for, the first full-time marketing hire to build up and scale the marketing team here at The Receptionist. Okay, great. So just so we can get some premise into the background, what, why was, what was the specific problem that the founders were trying to solve when the receptionist was first. So I'm trying to imagine like you're, this is probably for like big campuses. Like, is this like going, you're going to IBM or something and you, you come in, they give you a visitor badge and they check you in. Is that what we're sort of talking about? That sort of software? It's that. And it's all the way down to the very small one or two person businesses where they don't have anyone at the front desk, perhaps okay. because they can't afford it. You know, we're very big in the, behavioral health space. And so a single person mental health practice, let's say, they may be back in their office with a patient or with a client, and they don't know that their next appointment has arrived. Well, with our system, they can actually get a very subtle notification, either 
pop up on email or in Slack or on their phone, letting them know, hey, your next appointment's here. So they don't have to keep standing up, going out, poking their head out, out of the, the office door to see if they've got a next their next guest. So co-working spaces, manufacturing facilities, tech, you know, big tech companies, really I, anyone that can you anyone that welcomes visitors through their front door, we we work in that space. Okay, that makes sense. So it's essentially like sort of a self-assist for for physical walk-ins appointments that come in so it could even be like a dentist or something somebody comes in the hygienist is in the back it pings you and and does it give it's like an ipad they come and they check in on the ipad and then it just gives them instructions to sit in the waiting room or something like that yeah absolutely and and we pair best with another person there it's not like we always have to be a standalone utility but you know we take we offload the things that you know the that can be automated, those processes that can be automated and let the humans do the work that the humans are best at, the greetings, the can I get you a cup of coffee, the bathroom is right over there, you know, yeah. making them welcome. And we handle the, I'll say the tedium of signing in and, and recording your visit. <laughs> okay. Okay. That makes sense. Out of curiosity, were you guys, what was the competitive environment like when you came to the company? Were you guys one of the, because this sounds like a pretty unique type of software. Were you guys one of the first ones or yep. you were? Okay. We were. We were actually a carve out of another company that uh, this this other company that here in the Denver, Colorado area, our founder and CEO actually bought the company as a carve out from that. That company had created this software tool to check in guests and visitors as kind of a, hey, nice to do for a, a couple clients of theirs. And once they got some clients using it and there was some traction there, there was some, there was a desire on the part of that company to focus on the other part of their business, and our CEO Andy also kind of carved that out and and created what is the receptionist today. But that was back in 2013, and yes, we were one of, if not the original visitor management system out there. And and now the space is is pretty. There's a lot of rivals in this space. There's a lot of of competition, and we all kind of approach it from different aspects and angles. But you know, at the end of the day, we're all making each other better. I think. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about. Um, we're coming up to COVID. You're, so when did you, you when you joined the company? You said you were uh, employing number seven. You were saying that you were doing about a million in revenue. And so what was what was your job like? Like when you first started, was was it sort of like okay, we have some campaigns that are set up. We want you to take them over. Or like what was what was the sort of environment like when you first came in? The environment was scattershot. The uh-huh. company had been doing marketing, Andy, our CEO and, and president, he was really kind of in charge of it. But then Dylan Barry was also, he's our director of engineering and one of our co-founders. Uh-huh. Um, he, he had quite a bit of hand, especially on the, the paid search and the SEO side of things. We had a lot of what we called sharpshooters. So mm-hmm. different people out in the space, different, what's the word, freelancers doing mm-hmm. a, a lot of different marketing tactics for us, but none of it was under the umbrella of a go-forward strategy or a a kind of cohesive look at the world and is paid search talking to the website <laughs> and the, the folks who are, are putting content on the website. Is the website talking to the SEO, the SEO portion or the SEO freelancers? We just wanted to make sure that everything was brought under the umbrella of a single cohesive go forward strategy and that was really my my initial task was to take stock of everything that we were doing with all of those sharpshooters and start to 
focus it a little bit was, was yeah. probably at least the initial marching orders. Okay. And so when you came in, where did, did um, Andy basically give you free reign to say, okay, you're going to take this over. Tell me, you know, to stop doing what I, I want you to do everything. Or what was this? What, yeah. when you say you were giving your marching orders, what was like your directive? Yeah, that was the marching orders. Like you, you are the marketing director. You're the first full-time marketing hire we've ever had. And, and, it's for a reason. We want yeah. to take this. We're, okay. a, we're an incredibly collaborative culture here. So it's not like I just said, hey, this is mine now and, and I don't need you guys. We still, I mean, there's obviously a history there that I wasn't privy to that they could bring a yeah. lot of existing employees, even on the sales side, could tell me and give me that insight and wisdom. But absolutely, I've had... I've had um, you know the, the pleasure and the joy of kind of creating this thing in the vision that I had. <laughs> so it's been a, it's been a ton of fun with collaboration with the rest of the team. Okay, that's great. And so well, how was the marketing going at that time? Did you feel like was it growing? was it mostly content marketing and SEO or were we getting most of your leads? Right. At the time I was hired, it was definitely a lot of, I'd say referral referral okay. you know, somebody a ceo from one company would visit a ceo of of a client of ours and they would check in using our system and they would say hey this is pretty cool okay. i want that at my okay. so a lot of business was being drummed up from review sites like g2 and captera and get app and and those those review sites that are out there that i think we're all familiar of and a lot of just walk-in referral traffic from folks that would say hey this is the receptionist i'm going to go type this in and figure it out. Quite a bit of organic traffic as well, because if you talk about, you know, front desk reception software, the receptionist, you know, I, I was blessed to walk into a situation where we're, we're doing fantastically well from an SEO standpoint when you talk about receptionist or front desk. So the big focus, I think, was probably going to be uh, at that time, getting our paid search in order. That was a little bit of a I won't say a tattered mess, but it was it was pretty incongruent with the rest of our marketing efforts and just understanding where we should be spending our our budget and our dollars. And then social media, you know, we we needed to we needed to pump things up there. And we've since started things like a podcast, and a, we've done a lot more with video and and scaled back quite a bit on on our email marketing, but still heavy on the content marketing side. So yeah, okay. Okay, so let let's go through when you first came in and you Andy told you what you know. Let's okay take over the marketing. What was the f sort of the first things that you decide as a new director of marketing? It's like what what's the first things that you do? You, you obviously take a look at where the leads are coming from, but like kind of walk us through that process. You hit exactly on it there, Jordy. I had to figure out where our leads were coming from. We had no solid set way of tracking. Okay, this month we had this traffic from this channel and it generated this amount of leads or free trials and out the bottom of the funnel came, you know, we have a short sales cycle so we can typically measure that within a month. Mm -hmm. uh, we had to figure out where where we were driving the most business. And then diving from there, once I, you know, got some measurement efforts in place and and started to track that con pretty consistently, then it was getting a grip on and a handle on where we were spending dollars like those each of those channels where are we getting the most value out of where are we getting the most bang for our buck where could we possibly scale back and it wouldn't really hurt us that much versus where could we reallocate budget dollars or where do i need to ask for more budget dollars you know this campaign in paid search is 
giving us, you know, crazy good results. Mm-hmm. I, I think if we doubled, tripled this campaign budget, we could drive the same amount, if not more. Okay. How are you doing that? Because I'm sure it's one thing to say, okay, I, we found out where our leads, but let, let's sort of break that down a bit if you can. Mm-hmm. What tools are you using? Are you going into Google Analytics? I mean, how are you tracking if something actually came from a Facebook ad, but was actually really, you know, was retargeting from from an SEO lead? Like, how do you get into the attribution and, and all that? What tools do you use? <laughs> the great attribution question for all marketers. Yes, Google, what's the word? Google Analytics, excuse me, yeah. almost Google Ads. Uh, but Google Ads was a part of that. Google Ads, Google Analytics, HubSpot was taking was a big part of that. We had HubSpot up and running at the time that I came in. Also, Dylan Berry, our director of engineering, he had woven a lot of that into our product. So in the reports that I can get on the back end of our system about how many free trials are started, it attributes the proper channel to that particular location or or lead. Okay. So he had done a lot of that work previously. Do you know how he's doing that? Is it like UTM variables or do you know like what exactly he's doing to get those, to get that attribution? A lot of that is UTM variables. A lot of that is pulling in the information that HubSpot was collecting because we obviously have the HubSpot tracking code on our website that's taking in and, and assigning or attributing those channels to various leads that come in. So we had a lot of exposure about about that. It just had never been really looked at in a holistic view. Okay, and I'm not familiar. With, I, I obviously know what HubSpot is. I don't, but I've never used their software. Is it like a CRM, but you also use it to write blogs and stuff, or what? What does HubSpot actually like take care of in terms of your marketing? It can take care of all of that stuff. On the back end, it's definitely a lead CRM for us. We so like do. almost like WordPress then you kind of come in and you make posts there and it goes on into your blog or how does it work? You can do that with HubSpot. You can run your blog and your website through HubSpot. We do not. We run our, our website through WordPress, okay. uh, but the lead generation forms run through HubSpot. So okay. collection tools run through HubSpot, the email okay. marketing and the automation, the drip campaigns, the, the outreach there happens through HubSpot. And then a lot of that tracking of leads and where they're coming from and where they are in the pipeline that all happens through okay so like inside of your one of your landing pages that's maybe made in wordpress you're using a form that's hubspot the lead comes in hubspot tracks that that's where the utm value comes in and then it's and then you're sorry is it dairy the cto lynn okay delin okay so delin has has piped that into the crm into HubSpot, and so he can see. Okay, this trial came from from here. That's when you came in to into the company. You had all that stuff working. Correct. Right? Yeah, that uh, okay. you know from that from that aspect, the tracking mechanisms were all in place. So it was fairly mature at that point. It was just okay. kind of an understanding of okay, we're tracking all this stuff, but we don't really know what it means. Okay. That- okay. What's the cost of HubSpot, by the way? Oh, gosh. You know, at this point, we are upwards of $30,000 a year. At that time, it was probably about half that, but it grows as you... As leads come in, so they price it by the lead? Okay. As as chunks of of leads, yeah, as chunks of of active users. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So so presumably, you can say, okay, all of this, let's say HubSpot, you know, if you're a smallish... The SaaS is, say, you know, a couple hundred bucks a month or something. But the leads are coming in. It's like it's you felt like this is like 
an essential tool or what was your feelings on HubSpot? For sure. I mean, and, you know, whether it's HubSpot or Salesforce, it used to be called Pardot. I don't even remember what it's called now, but Marketo, MailChimp, all of these these marketing automation tools are going to have this in some sort. Uh, HubSpot is just, I've used it probably the most of any of these marketing automation tools and I'm most familiar with it. And it is is a, a clean, easy piece of software to work in and integrate into many other parts of your business. Okay, great. So you come in and you got you know where these leads are coming. So how did you break down the data? What was the most important way for you to determine sort of return on value for these particular marketing channels? Like tell, walk us through how you broke this down and what you what you found would be as sort of the director of marketing to come in and say this is essential that we get a handle on this and how how did you do it? Yeah. It was pretty straightforward. It was taking that data and information and then beginning to visualize it. Like this month, how many leads were brought in? How many new contacts? We counted. A, we count a lead as a brand new contact into our system. Mm-hmm. How many leads were generated, whether it was from content marketing on our website, whether it was from social media, whether it was from an email that we sent out, whether it was from a phone call that you know somebody said, "Hey, I I used your system in XYZ company, and I'd like to, I'd like to sign up for a free trial." Just getting that information all in one holistic view, like one view on a spreadsheet at the time. Okay, good. In <laughs> beginning to break down my budget dollars, where was I spending that money? Where were our marketing dollars going for each one of those channels? Obviously. I'm not really spending any money to when somebody calls into the system after they've used it, but that, that would be like a referral. Is that what you're saying? That's right. like a referral. Yeah. So how can I begin to incentivize that behavior? Perhaps how can I throw referral dollars out to our customers to send us referrals? Those were mm-hmm. questions that that we were talking about on the paid search side. You know, and on the well, let me back up. On the content marketing side, we were still using one of those sharpshooters to create content for our site, to create blog topics and and help with some of the marketing campaigns, particularly from a design standpoint, because I don't have design jobs. You're talking about a, you're talking about a freelancer that would just sort of a hired contractor. This was a company called Audience. Okay. And so okay. they're, they're a, a third-party agency that I absolutely... You can have good and bad experiences with content creation companies. Yeah. Audience Ops has been one of the very good uh, very good experiences. I've also had very bad experiences in my career. Okay. But, yeah, uh, yeah. You, know, you how still use them? You oh, still yeah. use them? Yeah, There's okay. Mm-hmm. Audience Ops, okay, if anyone's yeah. listening. Good, good yeah. reference there. You know, how much are we spending there and how much I, I attributed a lot of that towards our organic and, and SEO efforts. So that money was how much are we getting based on our Google Analytics? How much how many leads are we getting from organic search? Those uh-huh. search terms that were just showing up, people are coming to our website, perhaps downloading a piece of content or immediately signing up for a free trial and beginning to assign a cost per lead a cost per free trial. So it goes from lead to a free trial of our software, which is for 14 days. And then eventually it spits out the bottom. They sign up and and activate their location after they've done their free trial. So I began to assign a not only cost per lead, cost per free trial to each one of these and see where are we being most efficient with our dollars. Okay. And also out the bottom, where are we generating the most revenue? 
that we can attribute to marketing efforts. So okay. while we may be spending a lot of money, perhaps in on our Captera website mm-hmm. or our Captera presence, actually those those people that start a free trial, those leads turn into higher value sales at the end of the day. So it behooves us to invest more or or at least keep the same level of investment there. We've mm-hmm. since increased it, but those leads are really highly valuable because that is somebody who is, I'm searching for this product. I am reviewing reviews of this product on a website that customers have come and left reviews. Mm-hmm. And now I'm jumping to their website to check out their product more. If you think about the customer journey there, super high value, they're in the market, they're a player, we want to invest and try and capture as much of that traffic as possible. So you begin to just break down not only where are you being most efficient in getting people in the front door, but as they, you know, sit down at the dinner table and begin to converse with you, where are you being most efficient in in getting the most revenue out of them? What channels are providing that? And that was really the, the analysis that took place. Okay, so you basically you took up what do you what do you think that you need to get an accurate picture for these like six months of data or something like that? Or what what do you feel like is a good good sort of starting point? Anyone that's thinking about doing this? I would say a lot of it, it it's a little bit nuanced in that it depends on your sales cycle. Uh, yeah. I mentioned earlier our sales cycle, we have a fourteen day free trial. So uh-huh. typically our sales cycle sales cycle is about twenty days. It's increased a little bit through COVID, just because of budgets, but Mm -hmm. typically, you know, in a non-pandemic world, 20 days. So I had quite a bit of information after about three months as I collected that data and had that information, then we could start to really prioritize and move around budget dollars. Okay. Uh, You know, I've worked in the government software space where the sales cycle can be 12 to 18 to 24 months Mm -hmm. and you need a lot more data, a lot more information at that point. You're, you kind of hope for historic data to be accurate and correct so that you don't have to spend so much time at the upfront waiting, but Mm -hmm. the analysis and the the collection of that can take some time. Okay. So you got this data in, you assigned basically, is it like a CPA? Is that what you say cost or cost to acquire a customer? Basically that's, what are the, what was the data? What's the key like KPIs that you were looking for? It was that it was cost per lead, you know, just, uh, Mm -hmm. or, or, per free trial actually is what I was looking at. And then revenue per channel, revenue okay. at the bottom that uh, of those people that actually became paying customers per channel and were we being efficient there. Okay. And is it important for you to see like I mean, when you say, are you like actually segmenting referrals as a cohort? And in there, it says, okay, all of these referrals are worth, say, 24000 Everyone that comes through SEO is worth fifteen. That's you're segmenting it by the channels that way, essentially. You got it. Yeah. We can, we okay. can then begin to say, you know, if we, if we spend $10,000 in this channel, we would anticipate that it would generate $25,000 over the course of the next two years and, and pay for itself. So okay. uh, we've, we've that been makes sense. model that out. And yeah. when you came in, it sounds like Delin and Andy were good marketers, but they were, were they just doing things to just sort of say, okay, it feels like uh, we're getting a lot of leads from content marketing, so let's continue on that. But they, they, it was just sort of intuition, or was there any data at all that they were going from? There, there was some. Certainly, they weren't they weren't completely flying blind, and they had yeah. uh, you know 
had engaged with some agencies to kind of help them walk them through that and, and work on messaging and work on a little bit of high level strategy. But, you know, Andy's trying to run a company and right. Lynn is trying to build a, a product and keep it working and, and add new features and functionality as right, the... Right. At the time, he was, you know, they were a department of two in the engineering team. So it was, we're going to do this as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the really, the deep dive analysis of it, that's that's part of the impetus of hiring me. Yeah. <laughs> and you would you say your background was like a data, you're like sort of a data guy then? Oh, gosh, I, I was. When I first came into marketing, I was very much a brand is, is silly. You're never going to hear me say the word brand. It is all about like, if I can't prove it from the data, you know, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us to do it. I've since, you know, shifted more towards the middle. I, I see data as a compass. Data is a wonderful compass okay. to tell you a the direction that you should go. Yeah. But the, the person, the human with the intuition and the feeling and the, the street smarts, so mm-hmm. to speak, they're the ones that have to navigate the log in the middle of the path or uh, waterfall or the, the river that you have to cross that the compass will never be able to tell you. So yeah. it's a blend. And, uh, you know, I think I came into marketing at a time where it was very much, I mean, the MarTech world was just the marketing technology space and, and especially in, in SaaS was just exploding and you had you had some piece of software for measuring every single step of the marketing process and so data, data, data was the, the thing that marketers were kind of bludgeoned with. Yeah. And I think a lot of that has since come back into the fold. People don't like to feel like they're tracked constantly and that every move that they make is based on some spreadsheet value. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. What were some of the surprises after you had done this exercise? You'd gone through and you attributed values to all of these different channels. Were there any surprises? One was just how just how effective those review sites were. Uh, really? G- okay. New Capterra, as I mentioned, you know, especially when you have good <laughs> reviews. Yeah. Happy customers. Uh-huh. That makes, I mean, the work that our director of customer experience and our other co-founder, uh, Jessica Marshall, the work that she's done to create a truly happy customer base that will then go and volunteer up those reviews mm-hmm. is incredible. I mean, marketer's best friend. You don't have to take my word for it as the marketing guy coming up with the fancy language. Go mm-hmm. read what our customers are saying. And yeah. people that are reading those, you can intuit that they're most likely going to be in a buying scenario at least because mm-hmm. you're checking mm-hmm. out that makes sense exactly and so the traffic that we were getting from those websites i'd never really had in my career because i worked in government and government's just a different beast when it comes mm-hmm. to marketing and selling to government reviews weren't as big in the government space mm-hmm. studies were but reviews weren't well i mean i think we all understand now and, and know the value of reviews we all buy our own products for our own selves off based off how many amazon ratings does it get or how many reviews on the the product's website does it get from happy customers mm-hmm. that traffic is gold to us yeah. it, it, i just didn't quite understand the level of how effective those deals were those leads were at, at becoming paid customers once they got to our site. Right. And did they have a strategy to implement that or get reviews at the time that you came in? Or is it just all organic and natural? It was a little bit organic and natural. The The only really kind of uh, strategy was it was part of our post-customer drip campaign. So they became a customer. They would be 
placed on a drip campaign in HubSpot, where over the uh-huh. course of the next year, they would get several emails. And say, after about- Please give us a review. After about six yeah. months, they'd get an email that would say, hey, you've been a customer for six months, want to give us a review? And we would get some traffic to that. But we have since invested a lot of time and effort into getting those reviews just because of how valuable. Uh, okay. It, yeah. And can you tell us about that? What, what was your strategy? So you, you get out of this sort of audit of the traffic and channels. You come out and say, wow, these reviews were getting, what, what, what did it comprise for you? Was it like 50% of your leads or what was, what was the? Uh... No, not at the time. It, it was not 50% of the leads, but the leads that it was bringing in were incredibly high value and converted at a, a okay. probably, if we got somebody from those review sites to land on our website, the conversion rate from traffic just visit to lead was uh-huh. probably about 80%. Okay. And so then, exactly. Ahead. I was just thinking if we're going to use the 80/20 rule for this and say how many channels do you think you had at the time? You had paid search, did you have any paid paid traffic like Facebook ads or anything like that? That Facebook ads? No. That was a channel that we spun up as soon after. And it's, you know, Facebook ads, social media ads, we've we've played around with that LinkedIn. There I see that more as a brand awareness play more than anything. Mm-hmm. We did some retargeting, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, not not super super high level converting, but also not a big cost center for us. So just throw some money at it each month. Um, you know, our our I'd say we have nine major um, traffic. Nine. At that time, what was what were the if you were to say okay, if I only had one channel to work on and let my company survive what channel would that be would you say it was the reviews at that time no it was not actually it was the the biggest generator of just traffic and leads for us was organic okay uh, people that were searching for a front desk software or a receptionist software or and our our content marketing efforts had produced enough good traffic that we were at the top of those those search engine okay. results pages. so you felt like that was sort of taken care of I mean, obviously, you're going to yeah. continue it, but right. but you, you felt like, okay, we're in good, solid ground here with our SEO. What did you implement to get reviews then? So we changed a little bit of the messaging on those emails that went out. We asked for them a little bit. We asked for them earlier in their mm-hmm. stage because we wanted to capture a little bit of the honeymoon phase, right? You know, yeah. when somebody buys, you're, they're, they're never sense. as happy yeah. as when they buy. So we moved that mm-hmm. up. To when, like at a month or something? You went from six months to a month or something? Yep, it's right at about a month at this point. I think it's okay. I think it's six weeks, so a little over a month okay. at this point. Okay. And uh, how many times do you hit them? We asked them for the reviews. We asked them through email once. Okay. Now, the other thing we implemented was on our customer experience side, we started asking our customer experience reps to begin asking for those as well. As they were transitioned from sales over to customer experience, customer experience was asking more for those reviews as well. Is that through like intercom or something or how yep. is that being done? Okay. Yep. Those chats are are incredibly valuable through a, we use intercom, you guessed it. Okay. Uh, and that is a fantastic channel for us as well, just to kind of interact with people in the moment okay. that, they're, that they're at. I love that. Uh, Did Mark, you implement that? You said, okay, we really need to focus yeah. on the reviews. And you said, okay, let, let's, let's get our customer service guys sending people to get reviews. That was in tandem with Jessica, our director of customer okay. experience. 
that was that was okay. definitely a conversation we had. And we've since we also we invested some money in creating a better profile on those sites. So you know you can have a profile on Captera or G two, but it's pretty basic. Mm-hmm. But we invested pretty heavily in, for instance, our G two profile to where we have more information there to where we could add videos to where we could collect video reviews from our customers if they were so willing to do so so just mm-hmm. propping up our presence on those sites and now we're at the point where in we've actually added over the last few years an account manager position that is the go between sales and customer experience to help them in those six weeks where they're kind of getting ramped up and and getting the system implemented. And her name right now, we have one person in that role. Her name is Kaylee. She asks for reviews during that process as well. And she is phenomenal at getting us reviews. And here's the other part of it. We incentivize those. They are so valuable to us. Those reviews are so valuable to us that we incentivize them with a $25 Amazon gift card if you go and leave you. So okay. those having honest in- feedback, though, I want to clarify that anyone's because I've got some experience with get, tr- asking for reviews as well. And you can't say, hey, we'll give you this if you give us a five star. You okay. say, oh, we'll give you this 25 gift card if you give us honest feedback. Correct. That's, I presume that that's the messaging. Yeah. We don't we don't see them with what to say. We just say, hey, if you go yeah. and leave. We'll give you an and get a great, and you have pretty good conversions on that. She, I presume that she yeah. waits after that they're really happy as well with, a, say, the customer success guys get them and they resolve something quickly. Then you hit them up right after that, when, or, or or you know, at the moment where they they're like, okay, it's implemented, we're using it, it's done, great. Here's the customer yeah. experience team. Also, would you mind going and leaving leaving us a review? Okay, great. Uh, it's it's been a fantastic thing for and us. What's your number of reviews now at? Um, Captera and G2. Do you, Gosh. Do you recall? Captera, I, I know we're nearing 300 reviews at this point. That's great. And G2, I haven't looked in a while, actually. But What do you do when you get a bad review? We respond immediately. I mean, we try to respond. Uh, we're a little bit behind, actually. You kind of caught me there. But we, we try to respond to all of our reviews. But we, we respond to bad reviews as well and say, hey, thank you for being honest with us. We want to help. So please, you know, contact. Usually it is Andy, our CEO, who, who will ah. respond and say, please contact me directly. I'd love to hear and understand okay, more. Okay, so he's doing that as a CEO. That's okay. So it's that important. Do you, do you approach the person you know, and try and resolve it and then get the person to go and see if they, they can remove that review? No. Nope. Str- no. You just respond. We just respond. We never ask okay. them to go back and change it. Uh, sometimes they've tried on their own. Most, most of those websites don't allow you to after you've submitted a review, but... Okay. Uh, yeah, we we're like, hey, if it's if it's honest feedback for us, then we want people to see it. Okay. Bad or otherwise. Okay, that's good. Okay, so I, I definitely want to make sure we touch upon this COVID because I think it's an interesting uh, pivot that you that you guided the company through. So uh, walk us through sort of February of 2020. You know, COVID's starting to pop up and people's mm-hmm. uh, radar and affect their businesses. What was I gather that because when lockdown happened, there was just no more visitors, right? So, so yeah. all of a sudden, people, what were customers leaving, or what was what was um what was going on for your customer base? 
Yeah, I mean, the lead up to March 2020 was Q1 of 2020 was our best month or our best quarter ever as a company. January, February, uh-huh. March of 2020 were our best three months consecutively that we had ever had as a company. I mean, things were rocking and rolling, Jordy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, yeah, mid-March of 2020 happened and just the bottom fell out. The traffic to the website plummeted. No one, we are on our sales side, every single call was we're leaving the office. We can't do this right now. And it was, it, we did have customers saying, Hey, we're, we're going fully remote. We don't know when we're going back to the office. We're going to have to cancel. And very quickly we said, how about we, we allow you to pause your subscription instead? Like, we don't know how long this is going to last. We ne- none of us ever thought it would last, you know, as long as it has. Yeah. We offered every client that came to us and said, "Hey, we're not going to be using this for the foreseeable future." We just said, "Hey, we'll pause your subscription. We'll reach out in another three months at the time, and mm. just check in and see how things are going." And we had a significant portion of our client base pause. Um, mm-hmm. It was pretty hefty. And meanwhile, on the front end, at the top of the funnel. Just, it was like a faucet had been turned off, just completely bottomed out. So April of 2020 was a rough, rough time in terms of uh, on the marketing and sales side. This, we couldn't get a hold of anybody. Nobody was coming to the site. Stats were the lowest they'd ever been really since the start of the company from a lead generation and sales standpoint. But we started having these discussions at the leadership team. It makes total sense, right? Like all of these people are now being told you can't go into the office and we have a product that is dependent on people going into the office. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So we started having these conversations at the leadership level. Like, how are we going to get through this? Where, where do we go? We can't just keep doing the same thing. And we started to, to take a look at, well, we still have customers that are using the system. Can we get an understanding of, of who they are? why they're still using the system, like what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And if you think back at the beginning of the pandemic, what people were uh, going crazy for, we and we made this joke at the leadership team level, it was toilet paper. Uh-huh. We were like, well, everybody's- That's right. I remember they were, they were running out, right? Every, yeah, you could yeah. roll a toilet paper. They couldn't stay on the shelves. And, uh-huh. and we didn't have these discussions. We started looking at our customer base that was still checking in people. It wasn't at the level that they had been before, but there was still some semblance of activity. And sure enough, it was the supply chain. It was all of those companies involved in the things that were now in our lexicon deemed as essential businesses. They were food and beverage manufacturers. They were transportation and logistics companies. They were textile and, and home goods or consumer goods manufacturers. These were the people that were staying open. And in many instances, they were coming back to us and saying, we have to, uh, we're getting, we need to repurpose our receptionist. So we have to have more receptionist iPads at our front desk to handle our visitors coming in. And oh, by the way, we also, it would be really nice if they never had to touch the iPad because uh, it was still thought at the time that you could transmit COVID through touch and it wasn't as it wasn't an aerosol. Uh-huh. So these were the things that we, we talked about. And so we just went full bore, like all marketing efforts went into. Okay. So uh, say, hang on. So at this time you guys are, you see, okay, there's some activities. Did you start calling the customers to, or, or how did you find out who they were? Presumably you see, okay, 
you split this off, you do you take your, your analytics and you say, who are these customers? And you say, okay, I noticed that they're all supply chain. Did you start calling them and finding out why they were using it or were they telling you or what was going on? A little of all of that. You know, on the okay. back end of our system, we have an industry marker for each mm -hmm. location. So we can see, because that's part of our onboarding process is to mm -hmm. understand what industry our clients or our customers are in. And so we could sort by all of these different industries and you could very clearly see manufacturing, transportation and logistics. They were still checking in people when we clicked on that industry tag for those mm -hmm. customers. Then, yeah, the only conversations our sales team were having were with these, like the only people coming into our website were these kinds of customers. The other element to it was we had a lot of conversations on the sales side with those manufacturing, those transportation, those supply chain companies that were coming back to us and saying, we're, we use your system in two of our factories right now. We need, we need it in all 10 of our factories. So mm -hmm. okay. there were signals there as well. We had yeah, customers yeah. coming back to us and saying, hey, we need, we need a, a system of record for everyone in our building because of contact tracing. You had to yeah. know who That's was in right. the building at that time. Okay. That's great. So, so then how quickly were you able to pivot to these, so these new supply chain companies? Did you change your content marketing immediately and start yeah. writing blogs? Or what was the main, you just, how did you do that? What was like the biggest concentration at that time to, to be able to pivot that quickly? We did. We, we pivoted pretty hard. So we uh, first created a COVID-19 resource center on our website and it yeah. was for receptionists. So you, you do like you had a landing page that says, okay, are you this type of business? Are you having these types of problems? Yep. And then and seeding it with it, the, those specific uh, problems that you knew that your customers were having. Yeah. We had a guide to how to properly clean your iPad. Okay. Had, like uh, videos and stuff. Yep. And, and once we got our, we, on the engineering side, we got our contactless solution pulled up so people could actually check in using their phone rather than touching the iPad. Mm -hmm. uh, we had some QR coding going on there that, that made that possible. So we had a guide to that. We had explainer videos. We had a supply chain guide. So mm -hmm. we quickly spun up an interactive guide to how the receptionist or how a visitor management system can help all the different aspects of a supply chain facility from the warehouse floor to the front desk to the shipping and loading dock. There's an element of our system that can help in every single one of those areas. So it was an interactive guide with a walkthrough video, interactive guide with a walkthrough video of things to be thinking about, things to be concerned about, how to properly impl implement it so that you can reduce contact with other people as much as possible mm -hmm. during the time. It was. It took us really most of May to kind of get that spun up by June, June and July of 2020, we were back to about 80% of our pre-pandemic levels in terms of in terms of, of leads and traffic to the site and and deals coming out the bottom of the pipeline, mm -hmm. buoyed by supply chain and though that campaign. We've just went full bore into that campaign. Now I have to also say things after we had that initial bump of all of these supply chain companies implementing something like this, there was definitely a trail off through the end of the year. And, and as the pandemic got really ramped up at the end of the year, the beginning of 2021, things tailed off as well there, probably to about 50% level. But still, we managed to grow during 2020 in a pandemic by 25% as a company. And, and no. a vast majority of that is attributable to 
our efforts, marketing and, and directing our efforts to the supply chain. Right. And I want to clarify, though, I mean, a lot of people say, oh, big deal, grew through COVID. A lot of online companies did. It's different for you guys because you're specifically for visitors and there is yeah. no visit. So your clients are not using your software. It's not like you're selling remote sales software or something that obviously makes a lot of sense. And that, uh, was, that was also with probably nearing a fourth of our customer base paused. Yeah, really. So you had 25% pause. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not, not quite that much. I'd probably probably put it down closer to, to 20%, but it was okay. a significant... Why were the other people even paying then? You know, they're not open. They couldn't have been. Um, yeah, it's a great question. Um, there were some businesses that had a trickle of people that were in. Okay. Some people just, you know, it's a low cost. And our, our lowest pricing plan is 50 bucks a month. Okay, and, so it's just uh, not even worth it to... Yeah, it was yeah. just a hey, it's out of sight, out of mind. It's not worth it, and we're doing yeah. okay, company. So we're just going to leave it going. Okay. And now, now that built up a significant enough client base in the supply chain in those companies that were open, that uh -huh. they were staying open as well. Okay. Now that the COVID is essentially sort of ending, mm -hmm. I I hate to say that because we never know mm -hmm. what's going to happen with it. But what's your situation like now? Are you kind of getting the getting the same amount of traffic that you were getting pre-pandemic or are you still focusing on supply chain or what's your strategy now? We're slowly working our way back up. I'd say we're not quite to pre-pandemic levels in terms of traffic and, and uh, activity on our website. But here as what was really interesting was as things started opening up, we actually saw a dip in traffic and we kind of attribute that to once things started opening up, people weren't in the office. People weren't working. They were going on vacation. They were like, I don't know about how many of yeah. the people you talk to, but even here at the receptionist, we had most weeks, half of our team out on vacation or, or traveling mm -hmm. somewhere because you could. Yeah. Um, so we had a little bit of a dip in the middle part of Q2 this year in 2021. But last month, you know, as we record this July 8th, 2021, Last month was pretty darn close to pre-pandemic levels, and this month is right on track for okay. getting back to, to where we were at the beginning of 2020 before okay. all this happened. Yeah, we're Great. and and you know the 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 emphasis on the supply chain is not as prevalent now, but mm -hmm. what is prevalent is the expansion. So mm -hmm. doing a little bit of account-based marketing, if you want to call it that to jump into those those businesses where we have maybe one or two of their locations, but they have 20 locations across the United States. The other area, Jordy, that we've really focused on as we began to get deeper and deeper into the pandemic was the long-term care space. They still had you know, third-party health attendants coming in. They still had, as guests were slowly starting to come in, they needed an added level of safety and security and tracking who was in their building. So a lot of our effort and attention through the rest of this year will be paid to the long-term care space. Is that like nursing homes? Nursing homes, assisted yeah. living facilities. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. We're, we're creating a lot of content and a lot of information towards that. Okay, great. Now that's good. It's very interesting to hear how, how some companies have been able to navigate through COVID. Yeah. Most of the SaaS companies actually saw an uptick in, in, in traffic because, you know, they you know, it's remote and a lot of SaaS is, uh, assist with bringing your teams remote, but it's right. interesting to hear from perspective on a software that wasn't around helping your team go remote. So, yeah. um, 
That's great. So uh, we're coming up to the end of our agreed upon time. So I want to thank you for your time. How can anyone reach out to you if they're interested in finding out more? The website is thereceptionist.com and my email, I'm happy to take any and all questions or just uh, connect. It's michael at thereceptionist.com. Thereceptionist.com. Okay. Thanks so much, Michael. Thank you, Jordy. Thanks for listening to the Big Break Software Podcast with your host, Jordy Wardman. Be sure to click subscribe and check us out on the web. Keep listening and your software Big Break could be right around the corner. <music>